0: The NCAA can show much more leadership here than they've shown, and and look, if to me, even if Mark Emmert can't tell them whether they can play or not, he can step in front of a microphone and say, "Here's the information we're getting from our medical experts. We deem it irresponsible to play, and here's why." And then and then put it on the conferences to explain why they're playing anyway. Um, that's what leadership is.
1: You are now listening to the Duo Sports & Stuff Podcast.
0: Here are your hosts, Deontay Epps and Dane Beasley.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 23 of the Duo Sports & Stuff Podcast. My name is Deontay Epps, joined by my friend Dane Beasley. And Dane, once again, we have another guest. Oh, man. This guy is a big-time, big-time icon. Uh, He led Duke to the championship championship in 1996 under Coach K. He's an ESPN and College Game Day icon, Jay Billis. Jay, how you doing this afternoon? And thank you for joining us today, man. Well, thank you for having me. Good to be with you guys. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And my wife or my fiance, soon to be wife, everything has been postponed due to COVID-19 and stuff like that. But we were doing our little research on you. She helps me do some producing parts of the podcast. And uh, we saw that you were an attorney, which my friend Dane knew that I. It slipped my mind somehow. How are you able to do all these things? You're an ESPN guy, you're an attorney. How 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 are you able to do all that?
0: Well, my main job is broadcasting now. Um, I I'm still with a law firm, the the only law firm I've ever been with. I practiced full time for about I'd say eight years, and then for the remaining time that I've been with my firm, I've been I've had a position called of counsel, which is a a nice way of saying I don't do, I don't carry the load I used to uh, of cases. <laughs> so uh, I'm a full-time broadcaster and and more of a part-time lawyer now.
1: Of course, everything going on right now and breaking news is coming in. Like every minute I've been checking my phone since you agreed to come on to the show. We've had senators write letters. We've had players have statements sent out on Twitter and everything like that. But back in March the NCAA canceled the championships, uh, March Madness. Everything shut down. Mm-hmm. We're we're now in August. Why why are we on the verge of the same thing that happened back in back in March?
0: Well, I mean, the short answer is there are two things. We have not, as a nation, handled this pandemic very well. Uh, so we've still got uh, major problems throughout the country that make it very difficult. Uh, for us to carry on as we we once did and and carry on as we felt that we could have if we had handled this better uh, and then the other part is what we're still learning about covid nineteen. I think there are still some very serious questions with regard to long term consequences, even for those who didn't get you know violently ill uh, when they when they battled through the disease, uh, but may have longer term uh, uh, issues with regard to uh, heart, lung, uh, all sorts of of issues going forward that we're still learning about, and I think that's one of the things that that's driving this right now. It's really a question of of responsibility. What's the responsible thing for these institutions to do with regard to playing football? Is it? And it goes beyond just are the players safe. There's a question of of community spread. Are they contributing by playing football to community spread? Uh, I don't know the answer to that. Um, but uh, same thing with testing. You know, there's a ton of testing that has to go on to meet the, the, the protocols that the NCAA has made mandatory. Uh, is it responsible for an institution to pay money to jump in front of their own hospital workers to test athletes? um, that's a determination that, that that they have to make. Uh, so there, there are a lot of important questions. And I think the, the most disappointing thing has been, you've got these institutions of higher learning that are beating us over the head with the education stick all the time, and they're not helping to educate the public. I mean, I can't tell you how many, uh, administrators I've heard say, well, you know, we're listening every day to our scientists and our medical experts, and we've got the best infectious disease people in the world. Well, what are they telling you, and why aren't you sharing it with us, and why aren't you sharing it with your players? And right. clearly, mm-hmm. you haven't been sharing it with them because they're, uh, you know, they're they're shaking their fists right now, saying we want to play. Well, maybe if they knew the information you know, right. they wouldn't be doing that.
1: Right. And there's this other argument that I've heard a lot, and you've probably seen it too, as far as bringing thousands and thousands of kids back to campus, and yet at the same time, you w- don't want to have football. Like, there's a fine line of. Okay, you're going to do this, but at the same time, you're going to bring these kids back. How does that work? Do you kind of agree with bringing kids back on campus, but canceling athletic
0: sports? Yeah, I don't see it as linked to that. Uh, I wouldn't have a problem if a school, you know, early on in this whole thing, you saw Mark Emmert, the NCAA president and some others, some commissioners say if there are no students on campus, there are no college sports. Well, they walked that back pretty quick, uh, one, because of the money. And, and I'm sure a lot of different presidents told them, stop saying that, because if, if we're open for online education, we're playing ball if we can. Uh, uh, I, I think it it you know it depends on each institution and what they think is appropriate. But I don't have a problem with them isolating their teams and, uh, and having online education and still playing. That's fine for me. Now, others may differ with that. that, that that's fine. Um, but just because you have students back on campus doesn't mean you have to play because you're, you know, you, you can have, you can have a, a pretty secure campus and, and why, you know, maybe not feel as comfortable sending your football team on the road five or six times during the course of a season, uh, where they're banging heads against another team. You don't know what their protocols are. They have to travel. They're coming into contact, uh, in hotels with other people who knows, there there are a lot of there are a lot of issues that that there can be spread of the virus and uh and then uh, and then you have if it what do you do like are you going to have virtual meetings with your team throughout the year um there there are a lot of difficulties and if they want to go through them that's fine but uh i think ultimately it comes down to the uh you know this recent information that the 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 medical professionals are telling them it's irresponsible that that's what's driving this One of the things that I have found really interesting is all of the coaches that are going against their presidents right now, whether it's Ryan Day of Ohio State, uh, uh, you know, Nick Saban, uh, Jim Harbaugh, you name it. There have been a number of coaches that have stepped out and said, you know, we have to play and all this Mm -hmm. stuff. Um, And and you're wondering if, if the presidents aren't telling them, hey, go out and say something because I need some help in this room. I mean, I, you know, usually you'd get called on the carpet for insubordination right. for doing something like that. Oh, yeah. So you're wondering what they're, yeah. What, yeah, whether they're being told, hey, go out and make a big scene. I need some help here. Smoke
2: he smokes yeah. So you said two things that I really love, higher education and the lack of possibly transparency. So do you think that conferences are being fully transparent? And if so, do you believe that they're using COVID as some sort of a shield uh, to prevent players from wanting to unionize?
0: No, I think that would that would be shooting themselves in the foot for no reason. Um, you know, I don't think you want to shut down a multi billion dollar business because you're you're afraid of having to share it with the players. I mean, that's certainly an issue they're going to have to face going forward. And I think the players are going to get a, a significant piece of the pie going forward. But uh, I can't imagine that anybody thought would think that it would be a good thing to scuttle the season so they could stop you know the player movement. In fact, I think. I think with with more time on their hands, the players are more likely to to get together and and uh, and come up with their demands for next year um, because it, the, you know they're going to want to play the, uh, the NCAA and all the member institutions. They're going to want to play football next year. They're losing out on on hundreds. Uh, well, it's going to be billions of dollars they're going to lose out on by not playing college football. And you know this is a this is a multi billion dollar industry. And you shut the whole thing down. Uh, that that's going to be a huge financial hit. And uh, and if they if they hadn't been paying attention that the players were becoming more active and uh, more together and realizing their leverage, then they weren't just they just weren't paying attention the the administrators because this has been building for a long time.
2: And we've seen a lot of big names across the college landscape, you know, speaking up about you know togetherness and a lot of them using hashtags and specifically we want to play this particular plays association or potential of it, how feasible would that be? And how could that become a real thing or could that become a real thing?
0: Oh, it could be a real thing in a, in a heartbeat. It could be like a trade association or something. Uh, I think that would be uh, relatively easy to put together. Uh, And and for players to be able to speak with uh, with one voice and have have some more leverage and and be organized so that if they did want to sort of walk out or not play uh, to get what they want, it would be a little bit easier to do. Um, I'm a little bit, you know, I I thought it was kind of funny that that some of the folks, you know, colleagues of mine, frankly, in, in my business, have been saying, you know, some have been saying, well, the players should be listened to with regard to wanting to play. And I don't really understand that one. I respect that. I'm not saying don't listen to players. Of course you should listen to the players, but you know, they're not asking the players whether they want to play if there is a lightning storm near the stadium, you know, they get everybody inside for safety and that's really the same thing. You know, when the team charter takes off and there's, there's dangerous weather, the pilot doesn't say, well, what do you guys want to do? You want to take off? You know, they don't do do it that way. And it's the same thing with uh, essentially with this virus. Um, but I've not heard any any reasonable person um, within the structure talk about. Well, we need to shut this thing down so the players don't get any more leverage on us. So that would be that would be kind of that'd be like burning the house down for no reason, <laughs> right?
1: I have a close friend of mine that's in the medical field, and one of the things he's concerned about that could be a problem down the road is long term effects of COVID nineteen on athletes and the heart. Is that something that concerns you as well? Have you heard anything about that?
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, no. There, there's, there's information that came out in a, in a study recently uh, about uh, heart issues, uh, myocarditis, uh, I think it's called. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that's really got uh, a lot of the administrators concerned right now and is what they're being told by their medical professionals. And again, you know, I think we should know that. I think we should be told that, uh, you know, these institutions take federal funds. And so I think there's a public trust there, and they owe it to the public to help educate the public on what they know about uh, uh, the the issues facing that we're all facing with regard to, to COVID 19. Um, you know, it doesn't mean that they've got to tell us every little thing, but uh, but I think it's important that if they're going to pull the plug on the season or you know when they make these decisions, that they they share the information that they have. They haven't done it to this point. You know, the 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 most we get is uh, maybe. Brian Hainline or some from the NCAA says, well, the current trend lines are not encouraging. Well, thank you. Mm. What does that mean? Right. You know, tell us, give us the real, give us the real stuff. We can take it. Uh, uh, So uh, I'd prefer to see that Uh, we haven't seen it and it's been a missed opportunity and and a failure
1: to to go along with that. I'm glad you mentioned that why it seems like in my opinion, and Dana and I have talked about this on a lot of our episodes, it seems like the higher ups in the NCAA are, what kind of stuck in their ways, there's a disconnect between those in power and those underneath. Why do you think there's a disconnect there? And if you agree with that?
0: Well, I guess I do. Um, I, I I think they've always done it the way they feel like doing it and they don't feel like they have to explain or tell us anything. Um, this is different. I mean, I cut them a lot of slack because you know, this is unprecedented in our lifetimes. You know, it's a once in a hundred year pandemic, or at least the last one was a hundred years ago in the Spanish flu pandemic in 1918. Um, but, you know, I don't think it's in their nature to share information with the public. Uh, but it, it just, it struck me from the very beginning. Look, I brought, it's not like I didn't bring it up with people I knew within the structure saying, you guys are missing an opportunity here. You need to be, you know, when they were making decisions to cancel the NCAA tournament, you know, you should be uh, sharing the information that your medical professionals are giving you and that you're basing your decisions on with the public. And they've had all these opportunities through, throughout the course of this. You know, whenever any of these commissioners sits down for a, uh, a press conference, it's news and and it's covered as news. So have your medical professionals out there with you. I mean, why do I have to turn on CNN to to listen to Sanjay, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, which is great? Um, but when the best infectious disease—and he's one of the best infectious disease experts—but when the best infectious disease experts in the country are on NCAA campuses, well, why aren't they? Why aren't they helping educate the public on that? They should be, and uh, and we'd have a better understanding of things. And it would it look it would help all of us, not just help justify their decision.
2: So it seems that the NCAA could possibly benefit from having someone in a leadership role, uh, some sort of commissioner, if you will. So. What do you think that's been absent that's preventing uh, a general message from unifying everyone and being on the same page?
0: Well, there, there can be some structural changes to the way the NCAA works, including sports specific uh, governance, uh, to your point about a commissioner. But that doesn't let them off the hook for the, the substandard leadership they've got with the current structure they have now. I mean, there's nothing that's stopping the NCAA from making better decisions. And, you know, at first they had guidelines. And then finally, when the Pac-12 players came out uh, and, and basically said, we're not playing unless we get our demands met. Now, all of a sudden, the NCAA comes out and they have mandatory protocols. Well, that was a lot different than they did before. I mean, they were, they were really late on that. So at first they were saying, well, it's up to the schools and all this stuff. Well, clearly it's not up to the schools. You just made it mandatory. So clearly you can do it. They can determine whether the schools can recruit at all like none of these schools have been out on the road recruiting because the NCAA said he can't do it. They're not leaving that up to the schools. Uh, the NCAA determines if they can practice and how they can practice and when they can practice, but they can't determine whether they play. Yes, they can. Uh, they, the NCAA can show much more leadership here than they've shown. And, and look, if to me, even if Mark Emmer can't tell them whether they can play or not, he can step in front of a microphone and say, Here's the information we're getting from our medical experts. We deem it irresponsible to play, and here's why. And then and then put it on the conferences to explain why they're playing anyway. Um, that's what leadership is. And we've been, look, it's not a surprise. We've been, there's been a leadership void within the NCAA structure for a long, long time, for a decade at least. And, and it, it's, it's showing up more than ever now. And nobody wished this pandemic on the NCAA or anybody else. It, this has been horrifying and, and awful. Um, but it it has pulled the curtain back on how screwed up things are and and how they need to change. Um, but they're not going to change in the near future. They're only going to change after this is in our rear mirror. It
1: makes sense. It's like the transparency of like, because NCAA, nobody really <laughs> trusts them. And so that goes along with being... Uh, trustworthy source, like come out in front and, you know, show your face and let us know what's going on. I understand that. That makes sense. As far as you kind of touched on it before, do you feel like the NCAA is fearful of long-term effects or being liable if a player contracted COVID, if they had a 2020 season?
0: I don't, well, the NCAA meeting, the, the members, I think have some concern over that. That uh, even, you know, when they were trying to get the players to sign waivers and waive their their rights um, to, to sue the universities, uh, you know, you can't waive negligence. So if they were getting information that that from a medical professionals says they're responsible play, they went ahead and did it anyway. Look, the numbers indicate that they were going to have they're going to have bad outcomes with a certain number of players uh, if players get infected during the year there are going to be bad outcomes. So what are they going to do? Like, it goes back to our discussion before that we haven't had a a national discussion and we haven't had it in society either, but we haven't had a national discussion with regard to sports that, you know, what amount of risk are we willing to tolerate? On whom is that risk placed? And what are the metrics to determine that risk? In other words, how many positives are too many? Um, You know, because I could imagine a scenario where you have a situation where a player uh, has, has a bad end outcome and, and they just decide to shut it down based on that, that one thing. They were hoping it didn't happen, but when it does, and the numbers say it will, that, that they're just going to say, no, we can't do this anymore. Um, so I don't know. Clearly their risk tolerance uh, has changed, um, at, at least in the Big Ten, has changed. Uh, over the past week because they've been been putting schedules out. Every conference is saying, okay, here's our schedule. Here's what we're going to do. And then a, a few days later, now all of a sudden plug, pull.
2: You've also been a big proponent of paying student athletes for their image and likeliness. And in your opinion, what is the biggest hurdle that we'd have to overcome for this to be in a reality moving
0: forward? The NCAA, um, <laughs> you know, they're, they're the ones standing in the way of it. Uh, so really the players are allowed a scholarship and a stipend and that's it. And uh, anything more than that, you know, the NCAA has to okay and they've never done it and they're not going to do it unless Congress gives them protection. Uh, it's, it's really kind of a bizarre scenario, but look, and people have different sensibilities about it. They look at it differently, but to me, it's pretty simple. Uh, each school should be allowed to do what they want to do and compete in the marketplace for players. And the players should be allowed to earn or accept whatever they choose to earn or accept in the marketplace from anybody. Uh, you know, people act like college athletes are the only ones in the world that get scholarships. There are other students that get scholarships and stipends, and they're not told what they can earn or accept in the marketplace based upon their talents. So you have uh, music students that get full scholarships to to play a musical instrument and to major in music, and they get stipends and scholarships, and and nobody tells them, well, you can't go out and play your your instrument uh, professionally, you can't cut a record, you can't take money from a booster, can't sign a contract with a booster, can't do this, that, or the other. Um, they only say that to, uh, uh, to athletes. And I think that's wrong. Now that doesn't mean that, uh, a school can't say, you know what? Not here. Uh, we'll give you a scholarship and a stipend. That's it. And, uh, we're not going to allow you to accept money. We're not going to allow you to, uh, uh, do commercials or do anything like that. That's an individual market competitor can do that. That's fine. See how you do. Um, you know, there, there's nothing that stops them from Ohio State can go to division three tomorrow and they don't even have to give scholarships if they don't want to. I don't think most Buckeye fans are going to want to see Amherst versus Ohio State at the shoe on a Saturday. Uh, so I don't think they're going to do that. And I don't think they're going to walk away from $125 million a year in revenue. Um, but if they want to, that that's what choice is. The choice isn't on the player to, Hey, come in and play for your expenses only and fund all of our big contracts, and then fund all of our Olympic sports. uh, And uh, and that's all you get as a scholarship. I I just don't think that's good enough.
1: If somehow the NCAA, say in an alternate universe, says, okay, we're going to pay the players. Do you think that's something the NCAA should facilitate? Should it go to the conferences or some other entity?
0: Well, it's a question of allowing it. Like right now, the NCAA, you know, is basically all the member institutions disallow it. And so it's a cartel and uh, it's a price fixing cartel. That's what the NCAA is. And and with with wage restrictions on only one class of person, that being the athlete. So if they were to open it up uh, and allow athletes to benefit, literally like everybody else and compete in the marketplace, doesn't mean a school has to pay um, or, or has to allow it, but it would be easy. It would not be a big deal. Um, money would be a factor for a player. You know, some people act like, well, if, uh, you know, if they can pay now all of a sudden, you know, every good quarterback is going to go to the same school that they can pay the most. And like, that doesn't make any sense. That's not going to happen because according to that sort of flawed economic theory, uh, Nick Saban, uh, and Dabo Sweeney and Ed Orgeron would all be on the same staff at Alabama because they can pay the most. And that's not going to, that's never going to happen. Uh, just like you're never going to have, heck, they, they couldn't have uh, Jalen Hurts and Tua Tagovailoa on the same team for more than a year. Uh, and then one of them, didn't matter how great the facilities were at Alabama. Jalen Hurts going, I'm not sitting on the bench. I want to play. And he left. Um, that's the way this stuff works. And so I, I wouldn't worry about that for one second. Actually paying the players would make, uh, would make competition better, not worse.
1: We've seen the NBA put on, you know, they, they have the bubble going on right now. And so far it's successful. Is, there, is that something that, say, during March Madness, NCAA could pull off?
0: I don't know that they could pull off a, a three-week bubble. Um, that'd be asking a lot because you'd have to put sixty-eight teams in it. I mean, I guess you could. I guess you could theoretically pull it off, but it's asking a lot. You could have smaller pods to start. Um, I think it's possible, but I think the best you could probably do is is have teams isolated on their campuses. You know, this time in March, April, I thought football was going to be played. And they would move, move heaven and earth to play football. I thought basketball was the, the sport that was really in jeopardy, because it's an indoor sport. There's a lot more travel, uh, a lot more clo- you know, a lot more close contact. Um, you know, football plays once a week. You know, basketball plays three times a week. And you know, you're talking about trying to get 35 games in for the course of a season, and all that travel would be really difficult. I think what we're probably going to have to see if basketball is going to go forward is uh is having uh, having your players isolated on campus and then these big conferences are gonna have to have more regional schedules where hey man if you can get to some of these games easier we're gonna play more games with less travel uh you know I live in ACC country and and the challenge is going to be for like Syracuse and uh, Miami places like that well they're they're gonna have to like if, if Syracuse comes down to North Carolina to play Duke they're gonna have to play duke north carolina nc state and wake forest all the same road trip and they may have to play four games in in six seven days to get it all in um if they want to try to play all those and you might wind up seeing duke play north carolina four times in a season instead of just two
1: there was an article in the athletic today i don't know if you saw it, but it i kind of skimmed through it but it was talking about trying like hypothetically putting teams into regions during non-conference so
0: they can do it. Uh, there are a lot of di- – they need to come up with a lot of different contingency plans right now uh, for for basketball because it's coming. And, uh, you know, we're, we're in the middle of uh, – you know, approaching the middle of August right now. And, uh, look, do I think we're going to be playing these tournaments in November, the pre-conference tournaments like Maui and all this other stuff? I don't. I'd be very surprised if you have these tournaments that that need you know, have eight teams in one location. I think it's going to be very difficult to pull off, at least in today's with today's landscape. Uh, maybe things will change in a positive way, but it's not, it doesn't look that way. Um, and you, we usually we tip off. Uh, I think it's November tenth this year with the Champions Classic, where you have Duke, Michigan State, Kansas, and Kentucky all in the same building playing a doubleheader it doesn't seem like it's the prudent thing to do to have four teams in one building right now. Um, so we'll, we'll, see on that one too, but, but they're going to have to be creative and they better have contingency plans because uh, you could see things getting blown up in a hurry if they don't.
2: Unfortunately, we do have to think about the possibilities of potentially the cancellation of football season. Um, mm-hmm. What type of trickle down effect would that have for other sports similar to the cancellation of spring sports a few months ago?
0: Well, they, if they're not going to play football, they'll probably cancel all fall sports. Is my guess. Um, you know, you're going to have a hard time explaining why you can't play football when you're out playing, uh, you know, some other sport. Uh, so I don't think they'll play anything and just push everything back to the spring. Um, They've already. Uh, at the Division two, II, Division three level canceled all championships, NCAA championships. That doesn't mean that you know Division two and Division three can't play during the regular season, but their their champ- NCAA championships are, are canceled. Uh, so look, it's gonna be a big financial hit for everybody because uh, these things are budgeted a certain way. but also it's not just the lo- loss of revenue, it's the fact that they've got so many expenses that they've piled on themselves. Uh, you know, not just debt service, but, uh, all the ridiculous salaries they have to pay out. Um, so they have to make, you know, a lot of these schools have to generate a hundred million dollars just to pay the, their expenses for these gigantic, you know, gigantic staffs they have now. Um, so it's gonna, it's gonna hurt. So they're going to have to borrow. There are going to be a lot of institutions that are going to have to borrow money. And, uh, they haven't, a, a lot of schools are pushing back on this, but the ones that have endowments are going to have to increase their, the spend rate on their endowments. Um, they're not going to want to do that and they're going to claim that they can't, but in, in this sort of catastrophe uh, I think it's important that they uh they do in your mind
2: in the next six months what will our outcome in sports be what what is what is our fate
0: well i don't know uh I, it's it doesn't seem particularly promising uh given that we're five six months into this now, and we 've not as a society uh been able to you know knuckle under and do what we're supposed to do to get this thing under control. Uh, to me, this is not a political issue. Uh, it's a, it's a public health issue. It's just not that difficult. And, uh, you know, I still, I live in the South. I still go out quite a bit. You see people, you know, they're, they're out in tight spaces, not wearing masks and, you know, what are you going to do? You know, go start a fight. Um, but you can't, you know, it's almost like you can't fathom it. Um, uh, so I'm not optimistic. We're going to be in that much better of a position a few months from now than we are now, unless our behaviors change. And, uh, and that's going to take a national commitment. And we have not had that. Uh, we haven't had a national plan. We haven't had a national commitment. And, uh, and as a result, I think that's why we're seeing so many of the, uh, the negative numbers that we're seeing and having the the negative outcomes that we're having.
2: Yeah, it's true. It's pretty discouraging when you see other nations that have, a very small percentage of, uh, new cases and then turn on the TV and look here in the United States of America. And we're still just aimlessly and hopelessly trying to get this thing together, but who knows?
0: Yeah. I mean, look, it's frustrating. Um, it's really frustrating for everybody. Uh, but especially, especially those who've suffered tragedies, uh, throughout this, but, you know, when I think back to, um, you know, the, 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 shutdown quarantine that we had and basically at the end of March and and through April uh, you know, you were thinking, okay, well, if people had had taken that more seriously and we'd done what we've been asked to do um, we could have gotten this under control and we opened up uh, too early in spots Um, there, but there are some people that you're just not going to convince that that they think, well, you you know, this is no worse than the flu, which is not true. Um, And, and, Frankly, I mean, you know, I said I said it wasn't political, but when when you have leaders that say things that are blatantly untrue and then you have people out in the public that really believe it, um, you know, there, there there are times when and look, I don't think the, the three of us are I'm not suggesting the three of us are smarter than anybody else. But when you hear people say things that you go, that's not true, what was just said, Um there's a substantial part of the population that's going to believe that and that do believe it. And that, that, that's sort of doubly disappointing. One, that things that are untrue are said and they're said knowing that they're untrue. And then there, there are so many people that will, will believe it uh, and not think critically about it.
1: My fiance had a question. We had a couple of questions from some viewers and listeners of ours. And so my fiance said she was shocked to see that you were a practicing attorney. And she wants to know, is there any crossover between the legal career and your sports career?
0: Sadly, there's a lot now. Um, You know, yeah, it used to be that all I talked about was basketball uh, (laughs) in my job. But now there's so much uh, so much legal stuff going on, whether it's the O'Bannon case or the Jenkins case or uh, uh, you name it. Um, there, there are so many things where I've had to use my, my law training and my law degree uh, in order to make sense out of what's going on. Uh, you know, Northwestern trying to unionize a few years ago, the National Labor Relations Act, and all these different things, um, you know, NCAA stuff. Uh, it seems like like there's more policy discussion now than ever, and uh, it certainly, you know, wasn't a big topic when I was in college uh, among the media, but, uh, but now it is. Uh, so we're covering every aspect of it. So I, I, I think without my law degree, I would be much more limited in, in what I would be able to uh, uh, talk about intelligently. Maybe I don't talk about intelligently now, but I got a better shot <laughs> with my law degree.
1: <laughs> Makes sense. You're already well known in the sports world, obviously. Um, but I know when I really started following you and you, you've done this for a while that you quote young Jeezy lyrics on Twitter with, I got to go to work because I'm a teacher. So you tweet those pretty early and I'm like, okay, I actually
0: see it when I'm on my way to work. So how, <laughs> how did that start about you? You tweeting the Jeezy lyrics? Well, I'm a music fan and I listen to a lot of different kinds of music, you know, rap and hip hop or not you know, not the only thing I listen to, but I do listen to it. And when, uh, when I was in high school, uh, that's late seventies, early eighties. Um, my teammates and I kind of got hooked on, on early rap music and it was the sugar hill gang that that got us, you know, rappers to light. And so when, uh, this is, I think this must've been about 10 years ago. Uh, we had college game day at uh, Michigan state and draymond green i don 't remember whether he was on our set or whether he was you know warming up going by our set, but he was wearing headphones, and we asked him what he was listening to, and he said, "Young Jeezy. and uh Hubert Davis, uh, if memory serves, turned to me and said, "Do you have that on uh, this is back of the iPod, do you have that in your iPod? <laughs> and I said, actually I do uh, you know I got t m one o one on there and all that and and so he started you know he started laughing and i i I got some Uh, questions on Twitter about it. And I guess, you know, this has become kind of a a myth too, or urban myth. Um, When, uh, when people might not have believed it, I put some lyrics out. And, uh, and I think it it got to the point where I'd done it back and forth, you know, uh, uh, with some people on Twitter, that I finally actually had to go into the office. And I said, I got to go to work. And it just kind (laughs) of caught on and I started doing, you know, I started doing it every day and then it became an expectation. (laughs) That's That's awesome.
1: You mentioned college game day and I just sent you a tweet or not a tweet, excuse me, a picture on your phone. I just texted you a photo from 2011 when you came to visit Waco. Yeah. I graduated from Baylor. Dane graduated from Sam Houston. So the picture I just texted you was from one of the times you guys came to visit and, uh, I told my friends that when you agreed to come on, I was like, "I'm definitely gonna ask him about this picture. I know he's, I know he's had a lot of fans and a lot of pictures, <laughs> but I'm gonna just let him know that I still have this picture and I admire to cool. this day." And also, when you guys came this past season, I was working for the Baylor staff in some capacity, so I got to see you guys again. But that was a fun trip. Yeah, I uh, I told Reese Davis, uh, I was standing next to him at the end of the game, and I actually showed him this picture. He's like, "Wow, that's crazy." He's Just talking
0: about our hair and stuff, but. Yeah, he was probably checking out his hair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. See if it was any better back then or if it's just as perfect as it is now. RD, RD's got uh, the hair of a thousand men. <laughs> One
1: of my close friends, KJ, is a shoe guy. He loves shoes, collects shoes, and you kind of known for your shoe game as well. What kind of went into you collecting shoes? Is there another story behind that?
0: I don't know what that is. I think it's kind of a trait of the Y chromosome or something. Cause all, it seems like all men like, like sneakers, you know? And so when I was a kid, um, I loved them. I mean, I couldn't get enough of them. And, uh, and that was back when there weren't a lot of choices like there are now. I would have, I would have loved to have been a kid now. Um, but you know, after I, uh, you know, stopped uh, playing pro ball and, 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 you know, got into broadcasting and all that stuff. I was always a Nike guy for a long time. So I had a million pairs of, of Nike shoes. So I started out, you know, Adidas were my, when I was a kid, uh, wore mostly Converse and Adidas. And, uh, and I used to love Puma. Uh, I wore Puma a lot when I was a kid and, uh, you don't remember this, but Pony was, was big when I was oh, in high wow. school. Nope. And so I wore, wore, those, <laughs> wore those during the <laughs> summer. They're, they're pretty cool. Um, but uh, but I'm I'm with Under Armour now, so I, I I'm exclusive Under Armour and uh, and they're awesome. Uh, so I've got I've got at least a hundred pairs of sneakers. I don't know I don't know what you know what draw. I wear them with suits. You, know, you get <laughs> to a certain age. Yeah, you, you get to a certain age. Like if I'd worn sneakers with suits in my 20s or 30s, people would have said, "We well, use straighten up and act like an adult." But when you're when you're my age, you know, then then people think you're a little more. At least you've got some. You know, edge to you if you're wearing sneakers and they're comfortable. Oh, they're so much better. And uh, yeah, I don't know why, like, I still don't know why coaches wear suits to games. They should just wear a kind of like the NBA coaches are doing in the bubble. Like, they don't Apollo. need to be wearing it's, yeah, It's ridiculous to wear a suit to a basketball game. It's not 1917 right. anymore. <laughs> like Connie Mack, coach in the Philadelphia Age. Yeah, with the hats. Yeah. The, yeah. Uh... You know, Newt Rockney used to wear a suit to a Notre Dame game. Like, come on, man. Oh, <laughs> <it> really? <laughs>
2: Okay. most important question. Well, probably not the most important question.
0: Relevant question. NBA title. Who's winning it? Clippers. Yeah, I think the Clippers are the best team. So if Paul George, uh if they get back healthy, uh, you know, because they didn't have Lou Williams uh for a while because of, you know, the wing thing, and then uh, uh <laughs> but you know, Paul George is out for a while. But if they have their whole team, they're the best
1: team. Anybody you got coming out of the East who you have over there?
0: Um I mean, I, I think it's either the Bucks or the Celtics are or, or the two, you know, the two favorites there. Um, you know, the the only problem with the Bucks, it's not really a problem. I mean, they're they're a great team, and I think they're capable of winning the whole thing. Um, but Giannis is, um, I think, in the playoffs, uh, his he can be slowed down a little bit. Um, it's a little bit harder in the regular season to do it, but I think in a in a seven game series, I think he, because he doesn't shoot it as deeper as well. uh, I think he can be contained a little bit easier um, and it makes it, makes a little harder for, for Milwaukee to win, but they're, they're awfully good. Jay appreciate you so much
1: more than thankful for you coming on to this show. Every time we have a guest, we like to give them the opportunity to shout out anything, uh, social media, all that good stuff. I know you have like 2 million followers almost, but
0: (laughs) yeah, whatever, whatever people want. I'm I'm, uh, at Jay Billis on, Twitter and at real deal J Billis on Instagram. I can't believe so many accounts wanted my name. <laughs> so I had to come up with some real deal thing. Uh, that, that was kind of a shock for, for me, but, um, yeah, um, that's nice of you. But, uh, yeah. You can, I'm not, not real active right now. It's not a whole lot to, yeah. not a whole lot to IG about. Right. I, my day is basically the same every day. If people want to see me on the Peloton. I can, I can show them that. To see that.
1: <laughs> Jay, thank you so thank much, you man. Appreciate it. Great
0: being with you. you yes, guys sir. Be good.
1: Once again, folks, that is Jay Billis, ESPN, the college game day icon here on the duo sports and stuff podcast. You can listen to this podcast Wherever you listen to podcasts, are also on our website at www. dot com.